Hi, everyone. We're back with the Stay Current podcast. This is another installment in our series with the Journal of Pediatric Surgery. If you recall, every month, the editors help us choose articles from that month's issue, and we highlight those three or four articles in a podcast. I'm Ellen and Cisco. I'm M. Tom Bash. And I'm Cecilia Higena. And we're research fellows at Cincinnati Children's Hospital Medical Center. And this is Stay Current Podcast. You may have heard Cecilia on prior podcasts, but um, just to introduce her, she's the newest research fellow joining the Stay Current team this year. So in this episode, we are covering the July issue of JPS, and that month was actually the PAPS issue. PAPS is Pacific Association of Pediatric Surgeons. And so these are papers taken from presentations given at their last meeting. Dr. Mary Brindle is the editor who helped us choose these articles. I'm a pediatric surgeon. I work in Calgary, Alberta at the Alberta Children's Hospital. I'm also the publication chair for the Pacific Association of Pediatric Surgeons. Okay, so this month from the July issue, Dr. Brindle chose three articles for us. So we have one basic science article on Kaposiform hemangioendothelioma. Then we'll have an article which was actually taken from a lecture given at PAPS from a pediatric surgeon in Afghanistan, Dr. Dunya Mughal. And finally, we'll have an article on skin antisepsis for neonates. Let's get started. Okay, so our first article is called Rapamycin Induces Autophagy and Apoptosis in Kaposiform Hemangioendothelioma Primary Cells in Vitro. And this article is coming out of Shanghai, China. We actually featured this presentation in our Best of the Best event back in April, so you can check out Dr. Wang's presentation there in the app. In brief, it's a basic science article. They were looking at rapamycin's effect on Kaposiform hemangioendothelioma, or KHE cells, and seeing if it could potentially become a treatment for that disease process. You can read the article linked in the description below to see how they isolated and manipulated the cells. And Ellen will explain us briefly. They basically took KHE primary cells from an actual patient, a tumor specimen, and treated them with rapamycin and then studied them to see how rapamycin affected the cell's proliferation, apoptosis, autophagy, and how it acted on the mTOR pathway. And what did they found? What they found was that rapamycin inhibited the growth of the KAG cells. It arrested the cell cycle progression and it induced apoptosis. Maybe this is a chance to actually treat patients with rapamycin. Yeah, that's true, Cecilia. It sounds like Kaposiform hemangioendothelioma has been historically difficult to treat, and maybe this will lead to finding a better treatment. Why and how rapamycin works um, is really not fully understood, and, and we really need to understand this. That was Dr. Brindle. She's the editor with JPS who helped us choose these articles. So that we know how we can use this to more fully integrate rapamycin into clinical care. It's one step closer to finding medical therapies to things that we always uh, resorted to excision for, so this might be a step forward. That was Dr. Todd Ponsky. He's a pediatric surgeon at Cincinnati Children's Hospital Medical Center. From here, the next step, the next goal would be to do clinical trials 
using rapamycin for this disease process. You know, as Rod always used to point out, we at Lips Left to Our Own Devices probably wouldn't always choose basic science articles to feature. Basic science is really the foundation of our knowledge in pediatric surgery, but it's also a frontier of discovery. And again, that was Dr. Brindle. It's really where we can peer into the future for things that may be possible. And there's always so much uncertainty. So it's awesome that the editors are helping us and we're highlighting these studies that truthfully, a lot of us who are more clinically minded people wouldn't necessarily gravitate towards. After hearing all this, I'm excited to see what kind of future practice changes will lead to. All right, next one. In our next paper, we're highlighting a lecture from PAPS conference last year called Mission Impossible Made Possible. Two GAP fellows escaped from Afghanistan, and we talked with the lecturer, Dr. Dunya Mogul. I'm Dunya Mogul. I'm a pediatric surgeon by profession, and now I'm working with Kids OR uh, as a special advisor on pediatric surgery in Afghanistan. She gave this lecture about her experience leaving Afghanistan in 2021. And this is such bravery because Dr. Mogul was born and raised in Afghanistan and she was in Afghanistan for her whole life. Danya was educated in secret in her childhood and built her career at a time when women had a period of relative freedom in Afghanistan. That was Dr. Brindle. And here's Dr. Mogul. The situation was not ideal, but it was good. People had hope. And I was one of the four female pediatric surgeons that Afghanistan had in the last 20 years. In 2019, Dr. Mogul has been selected as a GAP fellow. But can you explain us, Ellen, what does it mean? GAP is an acronym for Global Alliance Partnership Fellowship. And it provides funding for surgeons from low and middle income countries to attend PAPS meetings. So I was one of the lucky ones that I got chosen by. And now I feel that that was the best thing that happened in my life because that was the only reason that I am safe today with my family, and I was able to get out of Afghanistan in that situation. And there's a number of individuals that, that Danya, I think, uh, really makes a point of, uh, of mentioning in this. Uh, Jim Warden, who started the, the GAP Fellowship, Marilyn Butler, who I think was committed to helping Danya. And again, that was Dr. Brindle. She's the editor with JPS who helped us choose these articles. Thanks to this collaborative effort, Dr. Mogul was able to escape a situation that was threatening her and her family's life. And in this new chapter of her life, she's working for KidsOR. I was appointed as a special advisor on pediatric surgery in Afghanistan. Yes, I am out, I am safe, but still my feeling I have for children never changed. So we researched that how KidsOR can help the children in Afghanistan. Um, if you've been listening for a while, you may recall back in February, we actually talked to Mr. David Cunningham. He's the CEO of KidsOR, a nonprofit organization that provides nearly everything you need to create an operating room in these lower income countries that lack resources for providing surgical care to children. Incredible story of someone obviously encouraged from the beginning as being one of the very few female surgeons uh, in Afghanistan. That's Dr. Ponsky. There's another part of this story, though, that I really appreciate um, as well, and that's the story of the kindness and dedication of the surgical community. And is a tribute to the global pediatric surgery community that we stand together when, when we can to help each other in times of need. And it sounds like it's a lecture I wished I had seen because it sounds like uh, it was pretty impactful. And here's Dr. Brindle. 
it's hard not to be affected by this harrowing nature of, of the story and, and the bravery of Danya, Rafi, and so many others. The story was amazing and it's really moving. And Ellen will add a couple notes. Dr. Mogul pointed out that people in Afghanistan still need our help. And here are some ways that she mentioned we could still help. Ten years ago, it was easy to get a visa and go to a um, different country and get training. But now that's not possible because of whatever happens. So getting visa going out is very difficult for doctors, for trainees, for everyone to get training. So the easiest thing is just there are so many online platforms. So providing them with the training would be the first step to start. And then moving on to our last article. Our last article is Optimizing Skin Antisepsis for Neonatal Surgery, a Quality Improvement Initiative. This was a study that was made in British Columbia in Vancouver, Canada. And for this paper, we talk with the first author. Hi, I'm Sophie Carr. I'm a first-year general surgery resident at the University of British Columbia in Canada. And the last author. My name is Eric Skarsgård. I'm a pediatric surgeon and uh, surgeon-in-chief at BC Children's Hospital and professor of surgery at the University of British Columbia. It's a prospective study that assessed safety in the use of chlorhexidine and alcohol in neonatal surgery. And here's Dr. Carr explaining. We're specifically looking at ways to reduce surgical site infections within our neonatal surgical population. And so we identified one such strategy as skin antisepsis. Forever, we use povidone iodine or betadine to to prep the abdomen or the chest. We started realizing that chlorhexidine was actually a better antiseptic modality. It was a better prepping agent to decrease SSIs after surgery. SSI stands for surgical site infection. But then the fear was that, well, this is unsafe to use in, in neonates. Even though we think and know that chlorhexidine is better. We still use the lesser effective one on, on neonates because we've been thinking that chlorhexidine is unsafe. That's Dr. Ponsky. Area where there was the greatest uh, controversy is really in neonates and uh, uh, potential burns and skin injuries. And again, that was Dr. Brindle. She's the editor with JPS who helped us choose these articles. What they did was they reviewed the literature and decided a protocol using chlorhexidine or CH. She with isopropyl alcohol for neonatal surgery in patients that were over 1,500 grams and over 34 weeks of gestational age. Yeah, I think ultimately our main uh, goal for this project was to establish a evidence-based basis for safety of CHG antisepsis use in neonatal surgery. CHD stands for chlorhexidine. So the fact that we weren't able to prove uh, superiority of CHD was, was not at all a surprise. In fact, we, we never expected to do that as part of the project, um, given the study design. That was Dr. Carr. And here's Dr. Skarsgård giving us an important note. When we looked at this literature, um, and as Sophie said, most of the harm seemed to be in the youngest, smallest babies. The harm is significant. You just have to look at a few of these case reports that come with photographs of very severe skin burns that, you know, the baby loses their whole abdominal wall. And this is just in relation to um, antisepsis related often to umbilical cord catheterization. So we, we were really, first and foremost, uh, wanting to prove safety. And let's hear Dr. Ponsky's thoughts. So if the study is a high enough powered study, it's a good start to saying, you know what, let's 
just use chlorhexidine in everyone. We know it's better. Let's use it in everyone. And there doesn't seem to be any um, concerns. Yes, that's really interesting because we were using chlorhexidine for neonates only in the NICU. Maybe we are going to start using it in the OR. Yeah, that's true. It'll be really interesting to see what happens next with this. Okay, awesome articles. So to summarize, we had a nice variation in topics. We talked about how rapamycin affects the cells of Kaposiform hemangioendothelioma, and hopefully we'll see practice changing updates for that in the future. Then we talked about Dr. Dunya Mogul and her harrowing experience in Afghanistan back in 2021. And we finished up with clinical-based article about neonatal skin antisepsis, and it'll, it can be interesting to see where that goes in the future. If you liked this episode, as always, leave us a rating and review wherever you're listening on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. Don't forget to subscribe to our YouTube channel. And as always, download the Stay Current in Pediatric Surgery app, where we have all of these podcasts, more videos, and a lot more. Again, I'm Ellen Ancisco. I'm M. Tom Bash. I'm Cecilia Hichkena. And this is the Stay Current Podcast. <laughs>